0: Good morning. So, what about that one message? I mean, could you get it down to a sentence? I mean, tomorrow maybe it's over coffee with a friend, or maybe it's on the way to school in the bus, or maybe it's just one of those quick passing conversations at the cooler at work, and someone says, Hey, you're a Christian, aren't you? You read the Bible. I just picked one up. I don't have a clue. What is this thing about? Could you tell them? Well, we're going cover to cover in the next 12 weeks from Genesis to Revelation. Celebrating Christ who's all over the pages and holds it all together. And hopefully over the next 12 weeks, your eyes are going to be open, Your heart's going to be warmed to who this great God of the Bible is. Hey, let me just say at the beginning of this service, it is great have some friends here I just met Raphael before the service and he's got a lot of students from Milwaukee we are glad that you guys are here this morning so welcome to Door Creek <laughs> our hope is that in the next 12 weeks as we go cover to cover we're going to grow in our understanding of who this God is this God who has revealed himself to us, not just out in creation, but actually specially through his word, the written word and his son, who's called the living word, the word of God. And that as we grow in our understanding, we'll grow in our love for him and we'll grow in our understanding of how it's all about Jesus, this Bible. And not that we just grow with information, not that we leave here and go, oh, we're, we're better informed people. That's never the goal, not the end goal. The end goal is that the information leads to transformation. That we're different people, that our hearts are different, that our lives are directed differently. And so what a great opportunity we have to do that. And I hope you'll be joining us in these next weeks to follow along in this study. Open your Bible to the table of contents. Not too many pastors ask their congregation to do this, but we're going to do that this morning. Should be around page one. Now, that word Bible, just, just in case you go, yeah, where is that word from? It actually comes from the Greek translation that means books. And if you look at the table of contents, you go, yeah, there's a lot of them, 66 books. It's divided in two sections, Old Testament, New Testament. Now, the bad thing about the division is you look at that and you go, hmm, is the Old Testament like plan A didn't work out so well, then God went to the new plan? No, it's not that at all. In fact, that word testament, it's not a word we use a lot. The word testament just means a promise. It's the promises from of all that God made to people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and through the prophets. And over the Old Testament, you could just write the words, Jesus is coming. Because that's what the Old Testament is about. About God's promised Savior. The New Testament is, he's here. He's here. Jesus has come, and he's coming again. Now, let me say some things by way of the divisions of the Bible. You look up here on the screen, and you'll notice that the Old Testament divisions are threefold. So you've got 17 books at the beginning. We call them the history books. The first five books of history are called the law. They're called the law because that's where the law that God gave to Moses, remember the Ten Commandments, that's part of that section of Scripture written by Moses. You've got the law, the first five, and then the next 12, trace the history of Israel, God's people, the descendants of Jacob and Abraham. And it traces us through going out of Egypt into the promised land, all the way to the point where they're led out into captivity to Assyria and to Babylon. And that's why there's a line there between 2 Chronicles and Ezra, because that's where the history changes from pre-exile to post-exile. You'll see that same kind of break in the latter part of the Old Testament, the prophets. So you've got the five major prophets, not because they're more important, just because they're bigger. Isaiah and Jeremiah, they're prophesying to God's people before the exile. Lamentations is in brackets there because the prophet Jeremiah is crying, he's weeping, he's lamenting because Jerusalem has fallen to Nebuchadnezzar's army from Babylon and the temple symbolic of God's presence has, presence has been desecrated and destroyed and burned down and he's weeping and then you've got those latter prophets of Ezekiel and Daniel talking to God's people there over in Babylon same thing with the minor prophets the first nine before the exile and then you've got Haggai, Zechariah and Malachi the Italian prophet no just kidding Malachi Those guys are post-exilic, okay? Then you got the books in the middle. And those are very unique. We're calling them poetry here. Sometimes they'll be described as wisdom literature. We'll see later. Jesus calls this section the Psalms. And what's different about the Psalms is not just the genre that it's written in Hebrew poetry. That's a lot more to do with lines than it is with rhymes. That section of God's Word has to do with the individual walk of, of men and women trying to live out their life in a God-honoring way in a world that has sin splashing in all around us. What does it mean to love God when you're going through suffering? The book of Job. What does it look like to live a life of praise through the highs and lows of life? The, the Hebrew songbook, the Psalms. Proverbs, the place for wisdoms, so that we have the skill for living. Ecclesiastes, Tom Nebel was just teaching us on Ecclesiastes the meaning of life. And then Song of Solomon, celebrating marital love. Right there in the middle. Then you go to the New Testament. We've got the division of the Gospels. Those four great Gospels that say and announce he's here. The promised Savior of the Old Testament is here, and it's Jesus. He's the, the carpenter's son, born of that Virgin Mary, lived in Nazareth the one who did all these miracles, the one who died on a cross and was raised on the third day from the dead. That's the Gospels. Not, they're not just biographies. They're, they're witnesses to this person. And it's saying, Jesus is that promised Savior. Then we get to the book of Acts. And Acts is actually the second volume of Luke's writings. So he writes the gospel and he opens up Acts and he says, now I I started to tell you in my earlier account what Jesus began to do. Now I'm gonna tell you what he continued to do through his spirit in the lives of his followers and what we see is this history book where the gospel, like, like a rock in a pond, explodes in Jerusalem, goes to Judea, out to Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. And that's why we have the epistles. If you were thinking they're the wives of the apostles, you're wrong. The epistles are the letters written to those churches that began to form because people started hearing the good news and they believed it and they gathered together to worship this great God and they formed these churches like Door Creek Church in places like Rome. So Paul writes a letter to the church in Rome or in regions like Galatia. Or he wrote to church leaders like Timothy, who was the pastor back in Ephesus. And so you have these epistles, these letters, all the way through the book of Revelation, which a lot of us think, well, that's prophecy, isn't it? Well, it is prophecy. But you go back and look at the beginning of that book, and you realize it's a letter written to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And so we have this overview then. And let me just say, as we go through this, that's exactly what we're doing. This is an overview. I went through the Grand Canyon on a raft. Wow, what a trip. Eight days on the river on a 35-foot raft. That was incredible. We're not going to do a rafting trip down through the nooks and crannies of the Bible. I have flown over the Grand Canyon. Just kind of, whoop, there it is. It's gone. This is more like the flyover at 40,000 feet in the commercial airline. That's what we're doing. And, and the goal is that you'll get the big picture. And it's always good to go back to the big picture. I don't know where you are today. Someone's walked in here and life is good. Some of us are going, man, it is hard. It's really hard right now. And it's always good To go back to the big picture and to remember these things. Now, what we're saying about God's word and what God's word tells us is, this is a history book. It's happening in real space and time with real people. And its setting is what we call today the Middle East. And so when you look at this map, it's kind of a map of the Old Testament. But back in the background, you'll see places like Saudi Arabia. Or here's Iraq. There's Jordan. Jordan. Syria up here, Lebanon's right up in here, and here's Israel, Egypt over here. This is the land of the Old Testament. The next map will show you the land of the New Testament, and it's a lot bigger in terms of scope because that gospel's going out. We see Rome up there to the left in the boot of Israel, right? In the boot of Italy. There we go. I knew my geography. (laughs) Sound like an American up here, don't I? (laughs) gospel's going all the way out to Rome, to Italy. It's, it's going, okay? Well, as we go on, we want to remember that this is going to be new for a lot of us. I mean, I have to tell you that I went to seminary. I studied Bible in college. And it was a long time, 17 years into pastoral ministry before I got it. That, that This isn't just about all these fragments that I kind of vaguely understood how it f- fit together, but, but there's a unifying theme to this Bible. For a lot of us, it's going to be new. And maybe it's new just because you're new to this whole thing called following Christ. Or maybe it's just, you're just new. You just got here. Maybe it's new because you just never heard it before. But I want to give you some resources to help you in this time of learning together. The first is, every week, we will make this available. There's study questions on one side. There's a blank piece of paper on the other. Love to see people writing down stuff. I know you're engaged. It's not everybody's learning style, but maybe that'll help you. But on the back, there's questions. Great to interact with, with your small group. If you're not in one, talk to Bob, and he'll get you in one. Great for you to interact with your roommates, with your spouse, with your kids to talk about these things, maybe just in your own personal reflection this week. We'll always have these typed up and hopefully they'll always be on the web for you as well. Now, speaking about going through things with your kids, there's a book I wanna tell you about. In fact, you can go out to the resource table and sign up. We got these at a great discount for 12 bucks. It's called the Big Picture Storybook Bible. And it's written by a friend of mine, David Helm, who is doing what we're gonna do in these next 12 weeks for kids. And so at the end of 12 weeks when you go, I have no clue what that guy was saying about the Bible. I am more confused than we started. Buy the book and David will set you straight and read, the, look at the pictures, okay? It's a great book. Great illustrations. If you don't have kids, you know someone who does, but you could keep it. Um, especially those of you with young families. I encourage you to go through this with your children. You can sign up today and we'll have them here next week. A couple other books. The top right is uh, A Case for Creator. Lee Strobel has written a very helpful book. We're not going to get into all the questions that you have when we go into a book like Genesis in the opening chapters. Lee Strobel does a great job in his book, A Case for Creator. Vaughn Roberts, down in the bottom right, God's Big Picture, tracing the storyline of the Bible. He's a pastor in Oxford, England, who ministers to uh, university students at Oxford University. And he's done a very great, anybody can read it and understand it, version of the big picture storyline of the Bible. His writings are kind of based on that one to the left, according to plan. Graham Goldsworthy. And he's the guy that I met back in 1990 that just blew my mind open to understand this unifying theme of Jesus Christ in the whole Bible. Great books for you to look at in terms of resources. Now, how do we know the Bible is a unity. How do we know that it's written by one God? It's God's word. How do we know that it all centers on the person and work of Jesus Christ? Don't take my word for it. I may be wrong. Let's see what God's word has to say. So open your Bibles to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. And as you're turning there, those of you who've heard me speak now, this is my third time, you'll note that each time I said, I'm teaching out of the NIV. And you're going, that's great. I've got an NLT. And the reason I'm teaching out of NIV is recognizing that there are great translations. We are so privileged. Realize there are people all over the world that still don't have the Bible in their language. And we have all these translations. So many great ones. I'm using the NIV simply because it's the translation I'm most comfortable with because it's the one I've studied the longest. So we're going to use the NIV. It'll always be up on the screen. And um, hopefully, over time, in this room with the rack Bibles and everything, we'll all get on the same page in the weeks and months to come. So, what does Paul say in Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen? He says this: All Scripture is God breathed. Scripture. That word "Scripture" is used fifty one times in the New Testament, and every time it's used, it's used to describe the Old Testament scriptures. So Paul is saying that all of the Old Testament is God-breathed. And we're going to see later this morning how God's breath, His Word, is a powerful thing. It brought everything into existence out of nothing. God-breathed doesn't mean God was inspired like we say an athlete or a musician or an author was inspired. But God-breathed means that this Word, this Bible comes from God and because he's breathed it it is as Hebrews four twelve says a living word that's active and sharper than a two-edged sword and we see what it's good for it's good for all kinds of things it's good for teaching us for rebuking us rebuking is just saying hey Mark this is the line of my word that's the line you're supposed to be traveling you're out of bounds you got out of bounds That's the rebuke of God's word. Correction then is, hey, here's how you get back on the line. And all of this word trains us and equips us to be men and women and children and students that know how to live our lives for God and for his glory. Some of you say now, okay, I hear you talking about it's God's word, but didn't the screen at the beginning of this message say there were 40 authors over a 1,500-year period. So how, how does it work? I mean, is it God's word? Is it, is it the author's words? And the answer is yes. It's both. Peter speaks to this very thing in 2 Peter 1. In verse 21, he says, For prophecy never had as its origin the will of man. In other words, Isaiah never woke up and said to his wife, Honey, I feel inspired. I think I'm going to write holy scriptures today. Didn't happen like that, Paul. Uh, Peter goes on to say, "But what happened is these men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's a mystery that God, using human frail instruments, with their own personalities and their own languages, to write down the very words that He wanted us." to have. And when Jesus comes on the scene, he talks about those Old Testament scriptures, and he says, just in case you're thinking there's a plan A and a plan B, not so. He says, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. When we hear those words, our ears ought to be ringing. Ah, law and prophets. It's like those categories up on that, divisions of the Old Testament, the law, the beginning of the Old Testament, the prophets, the end. I didn't come to eradicate them. I didn't come to abolish them. He said, I came to fulfill them. In fact, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1.20, for as many as the promises of God are, they're all yes in Jesus. What he's saying is, they're all fulfilled in and through Christ. Well, there's more. On the day that Jesus rose from the dead, this is a great scene. Maybe you don't know this story. Two of his disciples are, are walking out of Jerusalem. They're heading seven miles down the road to Emmaus, Cleopas, and his companion. And they're sad. They're rabbi, they're teacher the one they believed to be the promised Savior, the Messiah, he's been impaled on a a Roman cross. And Jesus miraculously shows up as he does in those post-resurrection accounts. And he's walking on the road with them. He says, what's wrong, guys? And they're going, what? Did you just fall off the turnip truck? Come on, what do you mean, what's wrong? Don't you know what's happened in Jerusalem? They crucified the Messiah. And then look at what Luke records for us what Jesus said in Luke 24. This is unbelievable. This has to be the greatest sermon ever preached. If I could go back to one place in all of the Bible's history, this is the place I jump and say, I want to walk that road. I want to hear this one because listen what happened. Luke 24:27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. In other words, Jesus is saying, all the Old Testament scriptures concern him. That's what Jesus' claim is. And these disciples, Luke records, said this, oh, didn't our hearts burn within us when he opened our minds and our understanding to the scriptures? Wow. And I hope that in the next weeks, in the years of studying God's word, that he does that same thing to you where your heart's burning within you, your mind's open, you're going, wow. In fact, later that night, verse 44 tells us that Jesus now has gone back to Jerusalem. He's in the upper room where the disciples are in fear hiding out, and he comes and he tells them this. This is what I told you while I was with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, those beginning books, the prophets the end of the Old Testament, and the Psalms, the poetry section. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the whole Old Testament scriptures, he's saying. And then the next verse goes on to say, he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And so the Bible is claiming that it is God's word. He's breathed it out. It's about one main character, God. And it has one message. And that one message is, the Creator God, saving a people that He might have a relationship with us and that is taking place through His Son, Jesus Christ, all for His glory. That's what this Bible is about. And we're going to be exploring and getting into the pieces here so we can see how it does all fit together. So let's go back to the beginning. Turn in your Bibles to probably page 1, Genesis 1. And as you turn there, we're gonna queue up a video that goes back some 38 years ago Christmas Eve 1968 it was the Apollo 8 space mission and for the first time man is seeing what's called the lunar sunrise the sunrise over the distant earth and let's listen to how they responded to that historic event Got it. Uh, we've got it. Apollo uh, eight now in in lunar orbit. It's now approaching uh, lunar sunrise, and uh, for all the people back on Earth, the crew of Apollo eight has a message that we would like to send to you. In the beginning, God created
1: the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form
0: and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, and it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. So, keep your Bibles open and look at verse 5, and we'll continue the reading of Genesis 1. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. God called the expanse sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, And the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. To govern the day and the night. And to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures. And let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea. And every living and moving thing with which the water teems according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind and God saw that it was good God blessed them and said be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water and the seas and let the birds increase on the earth and there was evening and there was morning the fifth day and God said let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds livestock creatures that move along the ground and wild animals each according to its kind and it was so God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And all the beasts of the earth, and all the birds of the air, and all the creatures that move on the ground, Everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that He had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God finished the work He had been doing. So on the seventh day, He rested from all His work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. In the beginning, the Bible starts out, God. It doesn't prove God. It assumes God's eternal existence. And it tells us in these very opening verses that everything came into existence out of nothing. It's not like he had some material to work with. We've all done that kind of building no he spoke it through the power of his word there was nothing there and then bam it was all there God reveals himself from the very beginning as a talking God some of you women remember when Chatty Cathy came on the scene now kids Chatty Cathy is kind of old technology but when it came out it was a big deal I mean a doll that talks. You'd pull out the string and she'd say really meaningful things like, I love you. And we thought that was so cool. A talking doll. The Bible begins by telling us about God, that he's a talking God. And it tells us that he's a God who's personal. He's a God of relationship. And I don't know if you noticed that repeated phrase, and God said, and God said. God said. He spoke it all into place. And when you go to John chapter 1, you realize that the word of God that's spoken in creation is none other than Jesus himself. So we're celebrating Jesus right here in Genesis 1 because he's there. We maybe notice that the Spirit's there hovering over the face of the deep. God the Father's there. But maybe you didn't know Jesus is there. And this is how John opens his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now listen to this. Through Him, this Word, the metaphor used to describe Christ, who later in verse 14, he says, became flesh and lived among us. He says this in verse 3 Through him, through Jesus, the Word, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And then you flip over to Colossians 1, and Paul says this For by him, speaking of Jesus, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things were created by him and for him. What would have it been like to be there at the dawn of creation and to see God speak it all into existence? Well, maybe this next video will kind of stimulate our imaginations to that end. (sighs)
1: The universe in which we live is made up of billions of huge star clusters called galaxies. Each galaxy contains millions and often billions of stars. One of these stars is the fiery sphere we call the sun. Surrounding the sun, there are nine very unique planets, including the one on which we live, the Earth. Earth is an awesome display of beauty and diversity. It is a world ideally suited to sustain hundreds of thousands of different kinds of plants and animals. From the microscopic to the immense, each has its own color, sound, aroma and texture. Each one has a special place in the delicate balance of life. On this planet, it is mind boggling to ponder the detail and dimension of the world around us. It is even more amazing to consider that there is one able to create it
0: all. And this one who created it all has revealed himself to us as the one God of creation who exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the greatness of God is is just begun to be grasped when you understand the vastness of what he's created. And just to help you kind of um, get a little faint picture of it, let's use the speed of light. Speed of light travels at 186,000 miles in a second. That means in one second, light travels around our earth seven and a half times. Whew, that's fast. So imagine we could travel at that speed. The sun being 92 million miles away, traveling at the speed of light in that super duper spaceship, we'd get there in eight minutes. Pretty quick trip. Now Pluto, the recently demoted planet. You'll notice though, we had the Madisonian version here with Pluto reinstituted as a planet here in recognition of our great city council. Um, Pluto is a long way away. I mean, it's 2,757 billion miles away. At the speed of light, four hours. Not bad. The nearest star, Alpha Centauri, 27 trillion miles away. That's a bigger trip. A little more of a commitment. Four and a half years. Now the Milky Way. The Milky Way is our universe, our galaxy, from one end to the other is 600,000 trillion miles. To get from one to the other traveling at the speed of light would take us 100,000 Light years. And astronomers tell us that in just the cup of the Big Dipper, there's over a million galaxies. Most of them our size or bigger. (laughs) They say the furthest object that they've seen in space is 18 billion light years away. I can't grasp this stuff. But I know the implication is, wow, what an awesome God. Isn't that how Psalm 8, the psalmist puts it? When I consider your heavens, I love how he puts it. God, you're so great. The heavens were just the work of your fingers. The moon and the stars that you set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care. And boy, that is a huge takeaway as we reflect on the vastness of creation, the greatness of our God, that he actually cares about you. He knows you by name. The scriptures say he knows the count of hairs on your head. And for some of us, it's changing every day. But he knows it. He knows it every day. He cares about us. Because we are unique in his creation. Let us make man in our image, God said. There's nothing else in all of creation created in the image of God. We alone are. And as his image bears, it's not like we physically look like him. Someone said to me, hey, I met your son Luke. He looks like you. He bears my image. That's not what we're talking about because the scriptures are clear. God is spirit, John four twenty four, And we worship him in spirit and truth. So it's not that we look like God, but it's like we act like God. God who is the sovereign God of creation who exercises his rule and care over us. And he says, I want you to be my representatives on this earth and under me, I want you to represent me and I want you to rule and care for the world that I've created. Unique in all his creation. And that care is seen so clearly as we follow through the rest of chapter 2. And we note in verses 4 through 7, God's care can be seen over Adam when he breathes in life to him and he becomes a living soul. In verses 8 and 9, he places him in the garden. He gives him food. And hey, he gave him work to do. Boy, you're going to work tomorrow. You're dragging your tail. And you go, boy, this has got to be part of the curse. Work? It's not. It's part of the beginning of the story which... Remember, it was a very good, perfect beginning. It goes on in verses 15 through 18 to tell us God also gave him his word and his word came in commands. And those commands were a good thing. And he said, don't eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil because the day that you eat it, you're going to die. That was a good word meant to protect them and to preserve their life. Then in verses um, 19 to the end of the chapter, God gives Adam a helper, a suitable companion. He was created from the dust, but we remember the account from the scriptures is God put Adam under divine anesthesia. First laser surgery pulled out that ribbon from the rib fashioned Eve. And when Adam came to that first wedding, God taking his bride to Adam. Adam wakes up and I think, it doesn't say this in the original, but I think I think it went something like this. Whoa! (laughs) This is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. He's just named all the animals, looking for that suitable helper. God helping him get the point that she's not here. It's going to be a special creation. And you know what? What we have here is perfect beginning paradise everything's right God's people Adam and Eve are in God's place the Garden of Eden enjoying a perfect relationship with God as they live under his rule his word and the perfected relationship they enjoy with God was something that they enjoyed with each other so 225 ends with they were naked and not ashamed not so much a physical description as hey that's what their relationship was like there was no sin there was no shame it was perfect God's people in God's place under God's rule, enjoying perfection. That's how the story begins. The story ends. We don't have time to look at it today, but this week, open up to Revelation 21 and 22. The story ends where it began. It's bookends. God's people is not just Adam and Eve. Now it's a sea of humanity made up of people from every nation, tongue, and tribe. And where are they? They're in God's place, a new heaven and a new earth. And they are under his rule, under the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And paradise has been beautifully restored. So the beginning of the story, as all stories have, is Genesis 1 and 2. The end of it, you could say, is Revelation 19 through 22. The rest of it is the middle of the story. And that's where we live our lives. We're still living our lives in the middle of this story. And so, how should the beginning affect the middle and where we are today? What's the takeaway? Well, here's one. God authored life. Let's make it more personal. God authored my life. He gave me life. And as the author of my life, He has the right to exercise authority over my life. And the right response to that is to understand who this God is, that he made me for himself, that he loves me. The the logical response is, God, you're God. I'm not, I'm gonna submit to you. I'm gonna place my life. It's what Kim was talking about. This passion to follow Christ and put your life in his hand. Maybe you've never done that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The second one is to be very clear about this Bible. The Bible is not a science textbook. Now, I'm sure there's a bunch of you that are going, hey, wait a minute, we just went through Genesis 1. You didn't tell me was that a literal... 24-hour day? Was it ages? Is it a young earth? Is it an old earth? How do we make sense of theistic evolution? Is there room for that? I mean, all kinds of questions. And all I say is, it's not a science textbook. It's a history where God is revealing himself to us. Does he speak about things that we can phenomenologically, that we can observe in creation? Absolutely. But fundamentally, what this book is about is about God's acts in history that talk about his desire to have us know him and love him and serve him and have our lives changed by him. Another takeaway. It has to do with growing. Growing in this book. You know, God is still speaking today. And the way he's speaking and the way he's talking is through the pages of the Bible. And it's a good idea for us to listen to him. He's the all-wise, perfect, infinite God. We ought to study God's word. So I encourage you to do that. Take advantage of all the places you can grow in your understanding of the Bible in this place. Children, we've got the kids' ministries here. We've got wanna where kids are memorizing all kinds of God's Word. Student ministries, there's small groups. Kyle's giving you God's Word. Men, men's fraternity on Thursday morning. Faith lift women on Thursday nights. We've got equipping you that Bob was talking about. We've got small groups. The Alpha Course. For those of you that are just wanting to get the fundamentals, just trying to figure out what's this Christianity thing all about. Grow. Grow. And finally, what I'd say is, the last takeaway is... Realize that you're part of the story. That when God wrote this story, he had you in mind. And he wrote you into the story. You're part of the story. And maybe you understand that. Then you live it and you share it. Maybe you haven't, then you receive it. And having received it, the response should be worship. Job 38 tells us that when God created the heavens and the earth, that that the stars sang and the angels shouted. And so the right response to understanding the beginning of the story is to fall on our knees and worship our great God. Revelation 4.11 puts it this way. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? Why is God worthy? Because for For you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. Worship him. Let's pray. So Lord, that is our desire. Is that our understanding of you as you have laid it out before us in real space and time and recorded for us so that we have your very words that we can understand who you are, what you're up to, which all of a sudden starts answering our life questions. How did I get here? Why am I here? Where am I going? Thank you, Father. And thank you, Lord, that when you created it all, you knew that we weren't going to be created like robots. We had a freedom to choose to obey your word or not. And you knew we wouldn't, that we would make a mess of things. And that, Lord, you would have to send your Son restore what you created from the very beginning, that perfect relationship. And so as we come to the table right now, we bless your son who is willing to die that we might live and be alive to you and to your purposes. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So what a great way to end our morning together, to go to the table. Jesus is the center of the Bible, and at the center of Christ's life is his death and his resurrection. And so it's fitting for us to remember that, to participate in this meal. This meal is for those who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, to those who are in right relationship with his family. And as we eat this bread and drink this cup, may we be strengthened by God's grace in remembering again what God has done for us. If you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, we are so glad that you're here. And the scriptures say, it's better that you don't participate of this. Wait until that's a true reality in your life where you truly have communion with God. So let's worship God and let's prepare our hearts. And as we do, let me say that we're gonna share these elements together. They're stacked inside each other. So take both the cups Hold them till after the song and then we'll take them together. Let's worship.